We've been talking about the fact that, that God is gracious. We've talked about a lot of things as it pertains to His grace and the working of His grace in our lives and how He transforms us. We talked about salvation. We talked about how His, His grace, His power and presence uh, brings us to salvation, how it transforms our lives, how it also, folks, how it will also develop the gifts of the Spirit in our lives to do a work for Him. Isn't that a good thing? And, and so it's the power and the presence of God in our lives that's consistently doing a work for us. Today I want to briefly continue this. Next week we're going to conclude uh, this series on next Sunday, but I just wanted to hit two things quickly today. And the first one is this, that God, uh, by evidence of grace in our lives, evidence of the power and presence of God in our lives, number one, is that we suffer well. We suffer well. Have you ever met somebody that suffered well? Ever met somebody that's gone through some things and had to endure it? I told him the first service as I was saying that, I remembered uh, my neighbor that I grew up with and we ran around together, had a brother that was like six years older than us, and, uh, and he made you suffer. <laughs> He'd put you on the ground and do things to you that I won't even say publicly in front of you. What he would do, it was scary at times, and uh, you laid on the ground, and he would hurt you until you would either cry out for help, cry real tears, or screamed uncle about five or six times. And you didn't want to scream uncle, you wanted to suffer well. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to give him that. Sometimes in life, we have to learn how to suffer well. We endure some stuff and go through some things. If we look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-11, through 11, we see this where, where, where Paul is describing how God worked for him. It says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been condemned, commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. Paul's saying, y'all made me crazy. Y'all made me go and do some stupid things. You, all, you, you made me look like a fool because I am so happy to suffer for your benefit. I am so willing. This whole thing, Paul said this. If we back up and you go back further in that passage, Paul's talking about the great revelations that he's had from God. That he was taken up into heaven. That he saw glorious things. That God revealed things to him. And this passage now says that there was a purpose for his suffering. That God didn't want him to become prideful. You ever known anybody that's been prideful before? Has a tendency to become prideful? You ever look in the mirror? It's all of us. Amen? Anybody that has any kind of blessing, anybody that has any kind of success, anybody that does something well or is, is in a good place with God has the tendency to allow that to overflow into pride. I've seen too many folks who have known the Lord and the Lord has blessed them in great ways that they, they, they begin to elevate themselves. And Paul says, the Lord sent this to me to keep me from becoming big-headed. You see great things. You're a part of great things. And the Lord says as a gift, as a blessing to you, I'm going to allow you to, to experience some tormenting, Paul. It had a purpose. 
Some people would say it was a physical thing like an astigmatism or a vision issue. And there's a few things that they use in Scripture to back that up and would suggest that that might be true. Others believe it was the suffering that he was experiencing for the gospel, the beatings, the imprisonments, so on and so forth. There's a couple other things that people might suggest it to be. But ultimately, what we need to understand is that this was a real thing, that it really happened, that it really was bothering him. And whatever it was, it had a message with it. And the message was to quit. The message was to give up. The message seemed counterproductive. Paul, you might as well quit. Nobody cares. You're not getting anywhere. You're not making a difference. You write all these letters, but what's the point? You're in prison. You're writing to free people from a prison cell. What's the point? There was a message that came along with his suffering. The message that was counterproductive to the gospel. A message that was away from what it was that the mind of most believers would assume would be a godly apostle. While the voice in Paul's mind was discouraging, the gifts and the abilities and the understanding of the heart of God increased all the more. While the voice in Paul's mind was saying, give up, he still grew in grace, he still had power, he still saw visions, he still had understanding. However, he might have been afflicted physically, emotionally. It sure did not reflect spiritual poverty and weakness. The impoverished and the weak in the natural are easily assumed to be likewise spiritually, but don't be too quick to judge. You see a person that goes through a lot and their life's beat up, it's easy to step back and say, well, you know, if they'd get right with God, those things wouldn't keep happening to them. The truth of the matter is that sometimes God will allow us to suffer to draw us to Himself. Sometimes He will allow us to suffer to develop new things inside of us. And He looked at Paul and He said, Your reason for your suffering is this, that you will not become pride-filled. See, God had a promise. And His promise was that His grace was sufficient. My power and my presence is sufficient. His favor that comes through the power and presence of God is sufficient. And the Greek word there that's translated as sufficient means this. Unfailing strength. Ability to suffice. To, to suffice. To be enough. To defend. To, to ward off. And the root word of that Greek word that, that was developed into the word that was translated as sufficient, the word that it even comes from means to raise up, to elevate, to lift up. So what God was saying to Paul was this, My grace is strong and will not fail you. It is strong enough to defend you. It is strong enough to supply adequately every need you have. And it is strong enough to lift you up, to elevate you in this condition. Not only to endure the pain, but also to impart the humility that you need to remain effective. That's what Paul told him. When God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, that's what he was telling him. That it's above all of it. The power, my power and presence is going to elevate you above it. So many times when we're going through difficult things, we look at the circumstance in front of us and we pray for God to remove that thing when the reality of it is is that God wants to leave that thing and then let us be elevated above it and be strong enough to go through it so that we've got a testimony. That's the plan of God. That's why His grace is sufficient. His power, His presence is sufficient. I can tell you this about God. If He has to afflict us to bring about the spiritual fruit that we need, He will afflict us. 
If He has to afflict us to cause us to depend upon His grace rather than our own strength, He will afflict us. But Pastor Bob, that doesn't seem like the loving God that everybody talks about. God is love, amen? But Pastor, God would never afflict me. My God is a God of love. Yes, your God is a God of love. Let me ask you this. Are your parents parents of love? Because I can promise you that my parents would afflict me for my good. Amen? Matter of fact, some of y'all's kids need afflicted. Might be a line foreman. Some of us need afflicted. Amen? When we were kids, I had to be afflicted. I needed to be afflicted more than I was. My sisters will tell you that they beg mom and dad, why don't you ever beat Bobby enough? He's won't. Dad would say, wait till he does something wrong and I'll do it. <laughs> Sitting over there with a lollipop in my mouth. <laughs> Folks, listen, we all need afflicted. Why is it then do we think that we don't deserve affliction in our adult life? You know what I've learned about adults? They don't like affliction. Our culture today in America, we don't like affliction. We don't like correction. We don't like being told we're wrong. We don't like somebody disagreeing with us on something. Come on. Amen. We, don't, we want a God that agrees with us on everything, tells us we're right all the time, strokes our little egos, and sends us on our way every Sunday for a happy week. No, we need a God that's going to afflict us sometimes. Because if he doesn't, we're going to be spoiled, rotten, brat Christians. That nobody's going to want to be around. You know that kid. When they come, you go, oh, dear God, he's coming now. You don't want people to see you in public like that. Oh, oh here they come, the Christian. The Christian is here. Hello, everyone. My life is perfect. If you could ever just live up to my standard, God would be happy with you. Somebody needs afflicted. Amen? God loves us too much for us to not go afflicted. We often question ourselves in times of suffering, even though Jesus, full of grace, suffered. Jesus suffered. And He suffered well. Remember, He was full of grace. Hebrews chapter 2 on the screen, beginning in verse 7, says, You made Him a little lower than the angels, speaking of Christ. You crowned Him with glory and honor and put everything under His feet. And putting everything under Him, God left nothing that is not subject to Him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to Him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because He suffered death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting. Everybody say fitting. Fitting. You ever have a nice pair of shoes that's fitting? Fits right? Nice pair of jeans that fit right? Brett Favre does. He makes those commercials about Wrangler jeans. They fit. (laughs) Something that fits. It's right. It's good. It works, right? Makes sense. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus was made perfect through suffering. Now, not that Jesus wasn't perfect already. Don't take that wrong. Don't don't misread that. What that's saying is, is that the plan, the gospel, the message, the working of salvation was made perfect because He suffered for it. 
Come on, folks. We've got some, we forget that you pay for good things. You want something good, you pay for it. Amen? You want something nice, you've got to pay for it. You want to be closer to God, you're going to have to pay for it. And there's going to be growth that comes through suffering. It's a high cost. And I know nobody jumps in and says, that's what I want. But be careful when you say, God, give me patience. Or God, grow me up in the faith. Or God, I want you to... Because God's going to afflict you. You know what? Everybody's going to leave. Don't put this on Facebook. I learned today that God afflicts those He loves. I can see it right now. Viral. Everybody's looking up our church. What kind of a crazy preacher is this that's doing this? Scripture says, if you beat him, he will not surely die. Spare the rod, hate the child. Amen? Some of them need afflicted. And so do we. And Jesus, through his suffering, get this, it was fitting and it was right and it was perfect that through his suffering, others would benefit. The grace of God, the power and presence of God was shown through the suffering of Christ. Salvation was brought through the grace of God. If this is what happened through the Son of God to bring salvation to mankind, why do we think that suffering is not from God? That suffering is only a bad thing? That suffering is a sign of spiritual weakness? Some of us need to quit questioning God's faithfulness in times of suffering and start seeking for what He might be doing in us through that suffering. We're so quick to blame God. I'm not saying all suffering is from God. I'm not saying that every horrible thing that's happening on this planet is from God. But I will say for the child of God, the believer, the ones who are surrendered to Him in faith, when you face hard things, it's not because your father hates you. He loves you. We don't serve an abusive father. He's wanting to do a work in you. And He will grow us if we seek Him. Hebrews 4.16 Shared this in week one of this series, but let us then approach the throne of grace, the throne of his presence, the throne of his power with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace, find the power we need to help us in our time of need. Finding the grace we need in the time of need, finding the power we need in the time of need. What does that say? That's saying, My grace, my power, my presence is sufficient. It's strong enough. It's strong enough to protect you. It's strong enough to ward things off from you. It's strong enough to lead you through. It's going to raise you up. I'm not going to remove this mountain for you, Bob. This one you're going to walk over. And you'll be able to. Because I'm strong enough. And my grace is sufficient. Don't you love your dad? Don't you love it when your dad can see things in you that you can't see in yourself? So He provides you with obstacles that He knows you can do that you haven't learned that you can do yet. That's our Heavenly Father. And His grace is sufficient. Whatever you're going through, child of God, don't question Him. Obey Him. And I promise you, His power and His presence in your life is going to see you through it. Listen, I've been there. I have been afflicted. I have been afflicted. Many of you in this room have been afflicted. And we're not here today because of our own strength. We're here today because of His grace, His power, His presence in our lives. That's the only way I stand here before you today. 
There were days that I cried and begged God for death. I've been there, child of God. I have been in those moments where I have wept bitter tears and didn't want to get out of my bed. I've been in those moments where I didn't want to see another person. It's happened to me. I have been afflicted. But I tell you today, I stand here by the power and the presence of God who is gracious enough to sustain me. I'm no different from you. We've all been there. But I'm telling you, what is evidence of the grace of God in your life? What is gracious living? Gracious living is suffering well. Secondly, was that a good point or not? I was excited for this week. Secondly, the evidence of of grace in our lives is our ability to be generous. It's seen in our ability to be generous. Now, all of us in this room have the ability to be generous because we all live in America, the richest nation in the world. We all have stuff and things, amen? Amen. We can go to Stuff Mart anytime we want and buy more stuff. We got stuff and things. We got finances. And even at our poorest state here in America, we're still living better than most of the world. So we, we have the ability to be generous. But a lot of times we don't have the ability to be generous. We have the ability as it pertains to our resources. But we often lack the ability as it pertains to our heart and our willingness to be generous. But I'm telling you, the grace of God, if we're looking at gracious living, if we're looking at grace revealed, and we're recognizing grace in our lives, that evidence that there is grace, the power and presence in our lives, we're going to see generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that's the one I tried telling you first. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, you see that? Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Stop right there for just a second. Out of a trial, joy welled up in extreme generosity. What is that? That's my grace is sufficient for you. Amen? That's people going through a trial and when it should defeat them and destroy them and they quit and give up. Instead, something wells up inside of them. And as you're going to see here in a minute, it wasn't just a natural thing. It was supernatural because it was beyond what was expected. So going through a trial, God's grace was sufficient. And now we see this, that it welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave us so much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. Nobody manipulated them. Nobody begged for it. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace in your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Grace. The grace of the Macedonian church 
was shown, the presence and power of the Macedonian church was shown in their great generosity. They gave beyond what was expected. These people had come to a place where they had completely given themselves over to Christ. The scripture says that they first gave themselves to Christ and then gave to the apostles. They gave themselves to Christ. They, they left everything else behind. They apprehended God. They apprehended the Holy Spirit in their lives, which became the most valuable thing, the most valuable possession they could ever have, so that everything else they had became nothing. We cannot become generous until we are so full of the presence of God that everything else we have is nothing. Unimportant. Not necessary. Not needed. The Macedonian church was there. Paul said this in Philippians 3.8, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may may gain Christ. I can't read and I almost said, for whose cake I have lost all things. Paul had counted everything else as rubbish. Everything else as worthless. My comfortable home. My nice car. my, my, My brand new electronic device. It's all worthless doesn't matter. I've apprehended, I've apprehended Christ. I've found Him. This is the same kind of extravagant giving that we see with the one who anointed Jesus when she broke the alabaster box and come in and broke it and anointed Him. She gave first to Him and then He turned them toward the poor. You say, what are you talking about? Remember the disciples were mad and they were saying, this is a waste. This generous act, this extreme act of giving is a waste. She's wasted her inheritance. That alabaster jar was worth over a year's wages, possibly more. It was an inheritance. And she breaks it and she anoints Jesus. And they start to accuse her and talk about it. And Jesus says, what she has done is a beautiful thing. And they begin to say, it would have been better for her to taken taken that and sold it and, and given the money to the poor. Jesus said, oh no, what she's done is a beautiful thing. She's prepared me. She's prepared me for my burial. It was a spiritual work. It was a spiritual giving. It was a spiritual overflow in her life of grace, the power and presence of God. Only God could lead someone to do something like that. Then he said, the poor, they're going to be with you always. But I won't be. That lady today is remembered for her act of giving. Today, that lady's name is recorded because of her her act of giving and her gift to the Lord. Listen, folks, it was a beautiful thing to be generous. It was a beautiful thing. It was the grace of God in her because she didn't care about anything else. Everything else was rubbish. This thing that was worth so much was worth nothing. She was further along than the disciples because she had already counted everything else a loss to Christ. They hadn't arrived yet. You say, what's my point in that? My point is this, folks, that some of us are, we're too in love with our things. When you've overcome a covetous heart, when you are filled with love and compassion, you aren't afraid to be generous. You aren't afraid to be extravagantly generous. 
Right now, somebody's saying, oh, great, preacher's going to move into talking about tithe and offering. We need to be giving more tithe to the church. And listen, folks, I don't need... Tithe is such a small thing. We make such a, a big deal out of tithe. You know, that's such a small, petty argument. And the fact that we make tithe an argument shows us right where our hearts are. That's the, that's the minimal requirement. You want to know what generosity is? Everything else. Don't think yourself gener- generous because you put 10% into the, the, the plate every Sunday. Don't get me wrong, I appreciate your obedience to the Lord because it helps us to do a lot of things here. But the reality of it is this, don't pat yourself on the back until you're generous. What's generous? Generosity means the 10% is what God has asked, I'm going to give Him 10%, but everything's His. Everything I have is His, and as long as He leads me to give it, I'll give it to whoever wants it. When was the last time you did something that was so extravagant it made you nervous? When was the last time that you've been so generous to somebody that it made you nervous? I can't believe I just did that. I can't really afford that. Oh, I really like that thing that I gave away. I I know they need it. When was the last time that you stopped yourself and said, Wow, I can't believe I just did that as it pertains to giving? Paul actually was telling, telling these folks, he says, Look, that if you have the grace of God, just like the other things are overflowing, all these other things... Gracious and extravagant generosity should be overflowing as well. It should be. Look at verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Did you? Is it possible that your gift could be full of grace? Is it possible that something you do for another person, I'm not just talking about inside these walls, I'm talking about out. I'm talking about real life. Somebody on the street, a friend, a family member. What is it that you've been so gracious? Is it possible that your gift to somebody else can be full of the power and presence of God? Enough to transform their lives? Enough to bring them to Jesus? Enough to change them forever? Is it possible that you could do that? One of the signs, listen, i got to tell you this, that it is impossible to be a person that's full of the grace of God and be stingy. It's impossible. I'm telling you, don't try to be a Christian and be stingy because you're only going to grow this far. God is Our God is a generous God and He has not called us to be stingy and selfish. And again, I'm not talking about tithe and offering. I'm talking about everything. Everything. Everybody say everything. Everything. Talking about all of it. Think about the man, the rich young ruler. I'm about finished, so just hang with me for a minute. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus, says, what do I got to do to have eternal life? And he says, you know the commandments. He said, I've done all these things. He said, okay, I want you to go sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor and come follow me. I want you to commit yourself to me to the point to where everything else is rubbish. And then come follow me. And we know what happened. The sign of the fact that the the grace of God was not in this young man's life is the fact that he went away wealthy and sad. Again, the greatest oxymoron ever. A sad rich person. We always assume rich people are happy and they're not. Why? Because he he wouldn't give up all. Now folks, don't take me the wrong way here. I'm not telling you to empty your bank accounts and go crazy. Hog wild and pig crazy, stupid. I'm not telling you to do that. But I am telling you to listen to the Holy Spirit. Do you believe in Him? Do you have faith? Amen? 
We talked about this last week. If you have faith and believe, you will do these things. Do you have faith and believe? Then generosity should flow from you. It's not a big deal for you to pick up the meal for other people. It's not a big deal for you to, to give generously to things that, that you feel are worthwhile, that the Lord has blessed you to give toward. It's not a big deal for people to give away to a car to somebody who needs it. It's not a big deal for people to give away things. It's not. I've seen people do some pretty incredible things before because of the grace of God inside of them, the generosity. And you say, but pastor, you know, I've worked for all these things and it's, and it's my stuff and it's, it's, my, uh, it's my standard in our community where we live and, and this is just who I am and, and all these things. I will take you back to verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you like to have the same power and presence that the Lord had? For the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor. So that you, through His poverty, might become rich. I don't know about you, but that sounds like generosity to me. He gave all for you. He became nothing for you to become something. He became poor that you might become rich. Now we say rich, obviously, we, 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 a lot of times we think about financial status. That's not what I'm talking about. We know that Jesus came and gave up the throne to come to earth to carry the burden of our sin on the cross so that you and I would become rich in salvation. Amen? Right? We need to be generous with that gift toward other people. And we also need to be generous in all aspects of our lives. Even making ourselves poor if we have to. Let me encourage you with the last scripture. 2 Corinthians 9.8 And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I'm going to read that again. And God is able to make all grace, all power, all presence, abound to you. Abound abundantly, a large amount of grace, of His presence, and His power in our lives. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, everybody say need, you will abound in every good work. I see an abundance of His grace, I see an abundance of good works, and I see an abundance of provision from God into our lives to sustain those good works. Hear what I'm saying to you today. Pastor, are you saying, preacher, that, that if, if I give generously to people and to things and, and, and overflow whatever resource the Lord has given me, that He's going to pour into my life greater grace? Why would He pour into my life greater grace? So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So I do a good work so that He's going to make more grace abound to me and so that I can continue to do good works. Do you know what that is? (laughs) You know what that is? We sing about it. Spring up a well within my soul. You know what I like? Anybody ever go out to Tree Springs Farm and drink drink water out of it? Do me a favor. Don't stick your face in it and lap it like a dog. Just get a a container. As long as I can remember driving past Tree Spring Farm, there's always water coming out of that spring. And as much as people take out of it, I don't know where it comes from. It just keeps coming out. And Jesus told the woman at the well that there's going to be springs of living water. There's going to be springs. There's going to be an abundance 
coming out of our lives. Folks, listen, you cannot outgive God. I know we've heard it. I know we've said it, but I can promise you that whatever you give as grace and the power and presence of God, driven by the motive of the kingdom, driven by the motive of the gospel, blessing others, blessing others, giving to others, being generous to others with our time, with our resources, with our finances, with whatever it is, bless, bless, bless. I can promise you that when God sees you as a faithful steward pouring out constantly for Him, He's going to keep pouring in with a big grin on His face. You're not going to know where it comes from, but you just need to keep Keep giving it away. This is the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. He wants, you are a vessel. We're a clogged up vessel when it comes to so much of our stuff here in America. We like to clog it. The Lord wants to bless us, and we're like, oh, that's nice. I'm going to keep that. Pretty soon you can't get anything through that. You gotta call Roto Rooter, man. It's bad. You can't get any, what what can God do through your life if you're like this? Lord, I, I would love to, but man, I'm just holding on to everything I got right now. Trust him, child of God. Trust him. Trust him. This church, out of their great trial overflowed in their graciousness. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient for all things. For these, for these that are being baptized today, we have five that are going to be baptized today. And I hope they understand, just like Denny, he, was, he, he, got, uh, he got saved here about a year and a half ago in our church, and we see that he's just continuing to overflow with the grace of God in his life. Folks, listen, this is a testimony of the grace of God in our lives. And I'm excited for those that are here. We've got young, we've got old. You decide which is which. And... And, 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 and as a pastor, it is an awesome thing to see the grace of God moving in people's lives in our church. It's transforming lives. It's doing a work in their lives. And, and, and as God does that, it's an awesome, awesome privilege to be their pastor, to witness it, and to be a part of it. But right now, I'm going to set something up. Let's pray as I'm doing that and just begin to thank God for His goodness. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your provision. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your hand upon our lives. And we just ask you, God, that today we would leave this place. And even if we should be afflicted, we know that you're doing a good work in us. And whatever it is that you've given us, God, if we see a need, help us to meet that need. And we know that you're going to continue to pour into our lives. You're going to bless others through us. Thank you for this church. It's a generous church. Thank you for the folks that are in this church, God. And I know... Your grace is evident in their lives because of it. Continue to work in them, Lord. And we thank you in advance for the things you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.